Welcome to another episode of Ed's Up, sponsored by the Southern Early Childhood Association. Ed's Up is a podcast all about children and those that care for them. Hosted by Dr. Kathy Grace and Dr. Kenya Wolf with the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Kathy Grace along with Dr. Kenya Wolf, and we're so glad to welcome you back to another Ed's Up podcast. And we're coming from the University of Mississippi, and we are so happy to have with us Dr. Kim Johnson today. And I'm going to just read one quote from her website, and then she's going to be able to talk to us a little bit about what led her into this very interesting career. This is what she has said, committed her life's journey to empower our children to know they can succeed no matter what their circumstances are. And her work is very reflective of what she said. So, Dr. Johnson, thank you so much for being with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for giving me the opportunity to sit with you ladies and share and just get to know you better and talk to these amazing educators out there. Well, we're going to start with one question. We always start with with our guest is, could you share with us what led you to be so dedicated to the teachers of young children? You know, I think what inspired me to hopefully motivate others is that I was fortunate enough to have an early childhood teacher who loved us, you know, and that's such a big word in the world anymore, but she really did love us. And I remember she always listened to us. She let us share stories, even when our stories went on and on, because, you know, sometimes as a child, when you're reading a book about a butterfly, you got to hear about all their butterfly stories too. And she never shut us down. And I, sometimes I think, did that lead me to the career that I'm in now as a writer and a journalist? I don't know. I'd like to think so. But just having teachers who cared about us, loved us, wanted to see us succeed, even though we came from certain sides of the town or we lived with certain um, socioeconomic challenges, they still saw the greatness in us. And I think that's what we hold on to now is knowing that teachers, educators can still see the greatness in our children at very young ages. Well, I know as a result of your early years, it certainly made an impact. And hopefully mm-hmm. that teacher realizes that yeah. they made such an impact on you. Yes, that is such a wonderful story and kind of helps us understand a little bit about the themes in your books. You've written several children's books that help promote self-worth and also talk about providing inclusive community. Um, What got you interested in this topic? And just tell us a little bit more about, about why you feel that's important. Well, I grew up with grandparents. My grandparents raised me who could not read or write. My grandmother had a third grade education. My grandfather, he literally could not read or write, but they had amazing stories they shared and they were so big on character ed. You know, I talk to kids sometimes now about character education and they don't even know what I'm talking about. So that concerns me. But um, just having good character, being kind and helping and sharing and responsible and all of those things that I just grew up that were normal 
for my life. And so for me to sit and write a story that talks about those kinds of things that I think are still necessary in our lives as adults, particularly adults in the world today, but also in the lives of our children, teaching them how to be better human beings. And I think that's going to matter. And so I try to write stories like that. I know when I first started writing, I had editors who often said to me, well, you need to write stories about divorce or you need to write stories about living with two dads or two moms and just the dynamics of what's going on in the 21st century. And I said, you know what, that's all great. And I think children need to learn about that. But for me and my life and the messaging I want to have, it is about making sure that our children know how to be kind and caring human beings. So that's kind of what I stuck by. And I never really shifted that mission and vision. And it has served me well over the years. So people kind of know that my books are going to talk about those powerful character traits that are going to make us better each day. Well, I know that your books have a somewhat a theme about self-worth mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Uh, inclusive community. And yep. I also know that your writing partner, Dr. Bernice King, has been a part of, of some of the books you've written. And that's a very strong partner there, given yep. what you are, are most involved in and mm-hmm. what to offer. Mm-hmm. How did that partnership come about? Well, you know, it's kind of ironic because I had a college friend of mine who I hadn't seen, gosh, since college. And just on Facebook, we just kind of connected. And she said, hey, I'm living in Atlanta. You know, Dr. Bernice King is looking for somebody to write some children's books to keep her father and mother's legacy alive. And I'm like, you know, here I am, just a little lowly author over here. She's not interested in my work. And so my friend uh, would not let it go. She was relentless. And she would, you know, text me or email me and say, did you send those books in yet? And I'm like, no, I didn't get a chance. I've been busy. She goes, if you don't do it, I'm going to be mad at you. And I'm thinking, I just found my friend. I don't want her to be mad at me. So I just took a priority box, U.S. Postal Service priority box, dumped some books down in the box. I don't know. I think I hand wrote a note. Here are some samples of my books. Please let me know if this is something you all are interested in discussing, something like that. And I shipped the box off, forgot about it. A year later, because that's how many submittals they had. A year later, I got a letter that said, you know, your books are in the finals if you would be interested in doing a telephone interview or coming to Atlanta. And my husband's like, no, they got to meet you. You got to (laughs) go. And so I jumped in the car, drove to Atlanta. I did not meet Dr. King the first time uh, I met the people that were coordinating this effort. And so they made me so nervous. And, you know, I'm never nervous, right? But they had me nervous. But there were so many little nuances in that meeting that they said they had really prayed for signs to know the right person. And there were so many little things that they couldn't even explain themselves that were there. And that's kind of how it all started. And from that point, we were going to write a book initially. And then she had some other projects she was working on. And I jumped into those projects because she said, come and help with this. And through that process, we just got to know each other better. She helped me with so many things I was working on in the uh, world of equity and inclusion and and, and, and injustices that were happening, not only in my area, but just really across the world. And uh, so she gave me some great advice. And it took literally 12 years for us 
us to get to the project that I went there for because she had so many other important and valuable things on her plate. So I say that I went there and it took me 12 years to get the book written. So that's the longest book I've ever written. Well, I would also think that over a 12-year period, y'all became really good friends. And she's an amazing lady. I mean, I wish I could say enough about her, but she really is doing everything in her spirit and soul to keep the legacy of her mother and father alive and really fighting passionately every day for justice, you know, because it is one of those things that she believes in with her whole heart. And I think that's what makes this work that I'm doing so important to me because she has made us see the value of what this means to everybody in this entire universe. And so I want to continue doing that kind of good work. What a legacy it is. I know I was looking at your website and just seeing the vast amount of your work and how you travel and meet teachers Mm -hmm. and how your work certainly impacts the classroom. What are some of the things you've learned from teachers and even from hearing feedback on your work from children? Um, What I'm learning is that teachers are innately creative But sometimes we get bogged down with the bureaucracy of it all and we forget that we are creative and we start looking for uh, papers, PowerPoints, books, things like that, that uh, take away from that authenticity of who they are as creatives. You know, I tell people all the time, you know, if you're going to be an early childhood educator, you've got to roll up your sleeves and get on the floor and crawl around if you have to. And sometimes we forget that it's okay to do that as an adult, especially when we're trying to empower our children. So I think what we've done is we've gotten so far away from divergence that we are thinking, convergently, one answer, one right way, one thing, one uh, opportunity, instead of looking at the many, many opportunities that we have and how we can take ordinary things and turn them into extraordinary things. And that's what I remember most about my early years in preschool and kindergarten is that I had teachers who weren't afraid to take paper and make little nurse hats. If you wanted to pretend to be a nurse, you could fold up the paper and you could make a little nurse hat. I actually am trying to teach my daughters that. I can't remember all the steps, but I'm going to figure it out because I used to make a mean nurse hat, let me tell you. (laughs) So just things like that, that I think airplanes, you know, my girls are enamored that an airplane, a piece of paper can fly. And I'm like, what did we do? How did we lose all that cool stuff? And so I'm really just wanting them to understand that they need to get back to the basics of what creativity is. And I tell people all the time, I love my old school teachers. So shout out to my old school teachers and old school teachers, anybody who's taught for 20 plus years, those are my old school teachers. And they just have a way of figuring it out, you know? And I teach at a college level and sometimes we don't figure it out. You know, we have to, it takes a little more energy for us to figure it out. Back then they just did it and I love it. And I think you you can somehow bring those two worlds together and create something extraordinary if we just put those minds together. Well, Dr. Wolf and I both teach in universities. Dr. Wolf does it full time. Mm -hmm. Uh, I only do it on just a teeny bit of time. (laughs) Uh, But one of the things that both of us have discussed at length, and I would love to hear your thoughts on this, is that the young people that we're teaching today are not necessarily skilled 
to have that creativity about themselves, about mm-hmm. problem solving mm-hmm. themselves. Mm-hmm. And so it's hard to teach a child to have problem solving skills and, and mm-hmm. to be creative, particularly looking at executive functioning skills. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if that's some of what you've seen in terms of your college work. Well, you know, I'm fortunate to be able to teach full time at, at Clemson University. I love the school. Uh, I know I'm here in Mississippi, so I'm uh, taking a chance uh, mentioning Go Tigers. Had to get that in. What I'm starting to notice, and I, I think I think all of us will begin to notice, is that young people do want to be creative. They do want to take those safe risks, but they're so afraid if it's going to be wrong, then they may not make the grade. Uh, And so I tell my students all the time, you know, I teach a course called Creative Activities for Youth, and it freaks them out because when I tell them we're going to work with crayons or markers, they're all freaked out because they're like, this isn't college. What are we doing? I can't have fun. I got to be serious about life. And I'm like, you know what? You're working with youth. You've got to be serious. Yes. But at the same time, you got to let yourself go and have fun, because if you go in there with the best laid plan, I promise you they will disrupt it. And then what are you going to do? So I let them go in with that flexibility and spontaneity. And I tell them it's okay to take those safe risks. As long as you are having fun, you're getting those outcomes you want, that the children now are participatory, where before they weren't, but because you did something out of the box, now they want to participate, then you have done an incredible job. So just giving them that confidence that they can do this, that if if it's wrong, so what? Let's start over. We can do it again. But they don't always get that autonomy to be wrong. You know, they have to feel like it has to be right or nothing. And I tell them, if it's wrong, so what? Let's keep trying. We'll get it figured out. And when they know it's safe to do that, I think they take more chances because I'll see my students come in at the first part of the semester and they're all worried about the rubric. Is this correct? And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to put this over here. We're going to do this. And then you tell me at the end. For me, that's my data. And they'll say things like, before this class, I was worried that it was going to be a lot of sitting and reading materials. During this class, I realized I looked forward to coming to it every week because I was going to have fun. After this class, I hope I can take this information and use it on the other things that I'm doing in life. To me, that's success every day, all day. So I think we've got to be able to give our young people the confidence to know it's okay to take some safe risks and that if it's wrong, okay, just do it again. And they know that they can do that. So I think that's the biggest thing we've got to give our young people, especially if we want them to come out of the school and really start changing the world, especially if we're talking about youth facilitators, educators, they've got to know that it's okay. And I think sometimes we use so much content that we don't get to the practical pieces of it because it will be easy to say, if you have a discipline problem, turn to page 35 in your positive discipline book. That's not real. That's not the reality of it. So you've got to give them practical experiences along with that solid content. And you can have both. But some of our kids get out of school with all the content in the world. You can sit and have an intellectual conversation, scholarly conversation all day long. But you put them in a room with a bunch of kindergartners, they would freak out. So you want to be able to make sure they know how to do both. How can they take Lev Vygotsky and use it in the classroom? How do they take Howard Gardner and teach to the different learners that you have? So those are the things we've got to create more balance on. One of the things, and I don't know if you've experienced it uh, in the Clemson community or Mm -hmm. around, is that we seem to be sort of fighting an uphill battle with school systems, Mm -hmm. school districts, and for the 
the teachers of young children particularly, mm -hmm. because there's a lot of, of pressure mm -hmm. for them to have mastered certain, mm -hmm. quote, skills that are more academic mm -hmm. and then there's not as much opportunity mm -hmm. for them to take the risk mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. again uh it's the fear of will I be hired again mm -hmm. will my mm -hmm. job yeah. you know how's that yeah and so I don't know if you've worked with superintendents or principals and what your advice would be for those of us who do sometimes to help them loosen up because in little particularly teaching little children they have to have that joy mm -hmm. that mm -hmm. you're talking yep. about mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I would encourage them to do the research because you think about uh, Finland and you know that's one of the top um, school systems in the world uh, and when you do the research on how they've done it you know I think their students take one big test and then that's about it but they teach to their children coming in everything they need to know they teach for the sake of teaching and when the children learn what they need to and then they take this test they do extremely well because they've learned what they need to know and i think i would say to superintendents admin is do your research and let those metrics help you shape the work you're doing. And yes, we have children that come in with so many challenges that you're not just taking a group of kids that are homogenous and hoping to shift them into one area. You're taking all these different dynamics of children. Yes, that is true. But I think at the same time, if you give your teachers more abilities to do what they love, that they'll get excited about it. They won't come in every day uh, as stressed as they are, because I'm seeing a lot of stressed educators. And that becomes something that transfers itself to the babies we're serving. So I think do your research, find out what is happening around in that arena of early childhood, middle, high school, and then start aligning. And you may not be the most popular person in the room as a superintendent or an administrator to step out and say that. But I have a lot of people that I've talked to over the past year, I guess, that are superintendents that are taking those chances and their school system has just grown by leaps and bounds because the teachers feel safe there. They don't have that psychological fear of if I say something, I'll get fired. And I think as admin, as leaders, we're going to have to revamp how we lead because we're not leading people into success. We're leading them into the dark, abyss of education, which we don't want to foster. And so I think we've got to do our research, see what's out there, see what's successful, and start aligning our work with the work that has proven to be successful. And you got to be bold to do that because again, the world is telling you, we don't have time for that. You don't, you, these kids have got to pass. This has got, and that's a lot of pressure, but everybody's under pressure. But think about it. If we keep operating that way, where are we going to end up in five? 10 years from now, our children will not learn. They will not be excited about education. I want kids to love learning. That's how we used to do it. And they seem to have fared very well. So I think we got to get back to some of the basics and we've got to not be afraid to step out of the box. We say it, but I don't think we do it. And we've got to do our research. Well, Dr. Wolf, I'm going to give you the last word if you've got another question or want to follow up with anything, because we have had such a good time talking mm -hmm. to Dr. Johnson, and we've learned a lot, and we've also learned about uh, the fact that you have a website that people can go to, and we're going to post that with our uh, promotion about when this is aired, so people can come and take a look at all the stuff that's Yay. been done. Yes, thank you so much, Dr. Johnson, and I would definitely 
love to give you the last word. And specifically, I'd love for you to give any advice to any of our young listeners out there who are starting their careers. You've had, you do so many different things. And to me, it looks like you follow your passion, Uh, but I'd love to hear any final advice for any young or young at heart people out there who want to make the world a better place. I would say, um, don't be afraid to chase your passion. Passion is the part of your soul that makes you act. That means every day when you get up, if you love it, you're following your passion. And I would say to just keep learning as much as you can. And for people who know me, you know, I can't leave without some piece of a poem or something because I love poetry. So I'm going to end it with this. And I think this will hopefully encompass everything you need. The piece I wrote is called Build Your Mind. And it simply says, if you build your mind one day at a time and let your thoughts just flow, there's never a doubt or question at all as to whether ideas can grow. You have to believe that your mind is the best and that dreams can really come true. But most of all, believe in yourselves and there's nothing that you can't do. So stop thinking can't and start thinking can can by building a positive mind, reach for success in all that you do and leave those negative thoughts behind. And so hold on to what you know, keep going for the good stuff and let the negative thoughts go away. <laughs> it's a good thing this is recorded so that everybody can play this every morning <laughs> and uh, oh that, that'll get them out yes. the door and get them going. But they can also go to my Instagram and that's a good way to get out the door too. And it's every underscore day coaches, every underscore day coaches. Thank you so much for joining us. Absolutely. Thank you for your heart, H-E-A-R-T work too, ladies. I join with Dr. Wolf in thanking you so much for being with us. Thank you, ladies. Thank you so much. Keep teaching. Keep changing the world. Thank you for joining us today for Ed's Up. If you have an early education topic you'd like to discuss, let us know about it at edsup at olemiss.edu. The Ed's Up podcast is a production of the Graduate Center for the Study of Early Learning at the University of Mississippi. The views and opinions of podcast participants are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of the university, its employees, or any affiliated entity.